Lionel Productions, Praxis Pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies. We want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our students' experience. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. In this episode, I get a chance to sit down with Jennifer Green, who's all the way out in Guelph, Ontario. She's the Director of Competitions and Young Women's Initiatives. We go through a lot of stuff when it comes to trades training. She's a trades person herself with a RSC, a Red Seal endorsement in Millwright, otherwise known as Industrial Mechanic. We talk about a ton of different things. And one of the things that comes through in all of this is the title of today's episode, Go Big or Go Home. Two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. So glad you tuned in. (laughs) I've been speaking all day. So glad you tuned in to this one. Uh, Episode 79. We have the Jennifer Green with us today. Thanks, Jennifer, for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. This is so cool. Uh, Jennifer, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and then we'll launch into what we want to talk about today. Sounds good. Um, I'm actually from Ontario and I'm a licensed industrial mechanic millwright by trade and I'm currently the director of competitions and young women's initiatives at Skills Ontario. We are a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the skilled trades and technologies to youth in the province, but we're also part of a national organization, Skills Canada, uh, who does the same for across the entire country. That's very cool. All right. So you're a tradesperson. That's awesome. How'd you get into the trade? I got into the trade somewhat by accident. I was actually taking advanced courses for forensic criminology in high school, taking advanced chemistry, math, and was headed to the University of Toronto. University was... Hold on. Hold on. Forensic chemistry? Forensic criminology. Forensic. Were you were you like inspired by those CSI shows that you just wanted to go and see who did it? <laughs> I was. Yes, I actually was. <laughs> that is so cool. This is the first time I ever run into somebody who's who's uh, gone into the trades from that kind of an interesting background. I mean, that's super interesting. So, forensic criminology. Mm-hmm. I loved chemistry. I loved science. I loved mystery. I loved. Uh, basically murder mystery. And that kind of summed everything up all into one. And I was fast tracking my courses, trying to get the best grades. But at the same time, I was actually taking manufacturing class and I had since grade seven. My dad is a tool and die maker. And I did the grade nine, take your kid to work day with him. And I always liked it. And I was good at it. I'm a very, very visual and hands-on learner, which is surprising because of course, uh, some of those university courses were a little bit more difficult for me that way in learning. But it had never been really pushed as a career. In all honesty, I used the course as a bird course to get my grades up even higher for my university application. And it wasn't until grade 10's careers class, we're going back 20 years now, that uh, it was notified of today's the last day to sign up for cooperative education. I'm like, what is that? I don't remember anybody talking about that. What was, what is that? And so the teacher explained that it was an opportunity to go out into the field and work one-on-one with people actually in that career that you chose to go into cooperative education for and get some hands-on experience and learn. And I remember sitting there going, wow, like, why wasn't this taught? Like, why wasn't this explained more? So I immediately said, I want to do this. Like, this sounds great. But what am I going to do? Even though I was already planning to go into forensic criminology. And on a whim, 
I decided to take a manufacturing one and thought, eh, I have fun with it. I'm going to go do that. And uh, I ended up reading through my local college course guide, which is Conestoga College, and read through every description of every skilled trade that they offered and landed on industrial millwright. The description sounded perfect. It was troubleshooting and hands-on. And I thought, this really sounds like me. I'm going to try it. Why not? And uh, ended up falling in love with it. And after my first uh, cooperative education, I ended up changing my entire course guide. I dropped the majority of my university classes for forensic criminology and switched everything over to the appropriate classes to be able to move into the trade. Um, I was the first female uh, student accepted into the OYAP, which in Ontario is the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program. It allows you to be a registered apprentice while still in high school. And I was the first OYAP student registered in my entire school board. Uh, and I was registered uh, as a grade 12 student and ended up earning hours for my apprenticeship my entire year of grade 12 and earned four credits in my year of grade 12, which gave me a huge kickstart to my career because for a millwright, I need 8,000 hours of hands-on work. And I gained every hour of it through the summer between grade 11 and grade 12. And every hour I worked for those four credits during the entire year of grade 12. Yeah, that's very cool. In BC, we have a similar program. It's called the ACIP program. And so mm-hmm. they, they start kind of halfway through grade 11 and then uh, they'll finish up in grade 12. And, and the reason why they start a little earlier is because they, they both graduate with their dogwood from the province of British Columbia, as well as they complete their level one apprenticeship training. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a double win for, for people who are in the system, but that must've been an interesting experience for you to change gears. Cause that's a tr- pretty drastic switch uh, from going from forensic criminology to uh, industrial mechanic. Like that's, that's a big switch. Like what happened in your co-op that made you go, okay, I want, I really want to do this. I was on my feet every day, working with my hands every day, troubleshooting, rebuilding, programming. It was something that I had never been exposed to before, ever. There was nothing in school. There was no other kind of extracurricular program at the time. It was brand new to me, and it was like a door opening with light. It was something that I realized I could do every day. That it wasn't just, hey, I'm here for a co-op. I could do this every day. And I really enjoyed it. I had to learn a lot and I had to make some very quick and very big decisions. Um, And that's where having mentors and a support system and guidance counselors and teachers also be aware of the programs available and how they work to be able to ask questions. Because the more you know, the more knowledge you have under your belt to make the best career decision for you. And being able to learn about all the different careers. So in Ontario, we have 144 registered trades. But who knows what those 144 are? If you don't take the chance to look into it, or if it isn't explained to you or talked to you or programs available, how would you know that any of those are actually registered a trade with apprenticeship? And being able to have that knowledge under your belt to know about the careers that are actually available to you helps you make a better decision for yourself to learn who you are, what kind of learner, what kind of an employee you want to be in what kind of setting and industry and sector. Yeah, no, no, no kidding. So your dad's a tradesperson. Uh, did, did you talk to him at all about what you're going to do and, and what was his response? 
when I remember coming home and it was definitely a bit of a blank stare. Uh, in my father's wedding speech for me, he said uh, a type personality. And I think he knew that well before I was married. And he knew that if this is what I wanted, I was going to do it no matter what, that I would be bound and determined. And so he told me that he would support me in every way, in any way possible. But at the same time, he wanted to warn me. A woman in a very non-traditional career. And at the time, only 1% of women in Canada were a millwright. Kind of a hard barrier to get through and a lot of tough skin. And that was the one thing that he was the most cautious of. He worked in manufacturing. He worked in industry. He worked in factories. And he knew what I would be. He knew exactly what I would be walking into. Um, my mother wanted me to go to university. She unfortunately didn't uh, have the opportunity to be able to go uh, simply due to financial reasons when she was growing up. So for her to see me go on that path and again, different generations, the push of university, she was heartbroken. She didn't see the path changing from what I had already looked at. But again, she supported me. She fully supported me in making that switch, especially when the passion shone through of what I had for this other career path. Yeah, that's so that's so key. And so you mentioned that there were school counselors and guidance counselors involved in, in your decision making process. Um, that's unique. Um, so what was that process like? Did, did they approach you or did you approach them? I got really lucky on a multitude of different scenarios. And I'd love to just jump backwards a little bit to the parents piece. I got really lucky that my parents did support me. There is a young woman who I have mentored for years since she was in high school. And we had several dinner meetings. And one of the meetings that we had was simply creating a plan how to convince her parents that this was the path she wanted because both of her parents were against her going into the trades. And so meeting after meeting, was just about creating a plan, coming up with scenarios. What could we say? How do we, how do we explain it? And same thing in school. I was lucky to have a guidance counselor who supported me, who said, I will, I don't know anything about this, but I will help you and I will figure it out. And I got really lucky of having amazing co-op and OEF teachers, of uh, just having regular teachers in manufacturing and other trades who supported me. And Having them there was an opportunity to allow me to feel safe and comfortable of going in that direction of not only doing my own research, but having that support behind you, going to college, university, apprenticeship, the workforce, doesn't matter what path you take after high school, it's scary. Doesn't matter what anybody says, it is scary. There's always so many unknowns and being able to have that made a difference, but that's definitely not always the case. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. What do you think is driving the perspective of college and university experience trumping apprenticeship experience? I think it is no different than anything else of change and modernization. That's the way that it was. That's the way how people used to originally see it. And as things evolve or change or just simply are seen in a different light as being equal, it's just about change. Nobody likes change and change is hard where the amount of hands-on hours that I need for my apprenticeship, that 8,000 plus all the hours that I had to spend in school, we sat down with somebody and compared it to a couple of different university degrees. And I've actually spent more hours in my apprenticeship than others did for degrees where 
it was always thought that that's where you went if you couldn't get the grades. But that is certainly not the case. As a millwright, you need math and you need physics. There's quite a few things that you need uh, where people don't even realize is part of the job. Uh, you think about having to understand how a motor works or how a pump works, how to rip it apart, how to troubleshoot it. Those are some simple things. But same thing with hydraulics and pneumatics. They are very complex. But people don't understand enough of what is exactly involved in the trades to understand the complexity or the level. And there are still some, I'll say, stereotypes and stigmas that are attached to them that are not helping, such as here in Ontario, uh, you get what's called the Ontario College Certificate when you uh, do post-secondary along with your apprenticeship, but it's not called a diploma. The level of a certificate in the definition of certificate, diploma, degree is completely different and does not match what the complexity and level and hours required of training are actually required. It really should be called a diploma. So you look at several things like that and that's the way it always was. And if the push for university was always there and that's how people recognized it 30, 50, 60, 70 plus years ago, it's something that's evolutionary and needs to require change that these are seen as equal and complex uh, on different pathways to be able to take. So what do you think are some ways that we can start, start or continue or build a momentum for change? A momentum for change is, this is going to sound really simple. Um, I'm a mom. I've got two kids, age nine and seven right now. And we were playing the game of life last night. And I got really bugged during playing the game. As soon as you roll the first dice, you have the chance to go to college or a chance to go to workforce. But nowhere is there is another path. There isn't another path explaining the difference of what a tradesperson is or what an apprenticeship is. You just have these two simple paths and then it classifies the difference of them in terms of wage. The wages in the game are definitely not correct. And then later on in the game, you have a chance. If you took the workforce path, you now want to pay $50,000 and go to the college path and get a better paying job. And I'm like, well, this isn't true. <laughs> and not in all cases. And just something as simple as a child's game, it's already setting the expectations that that's where that's what you do. And there are a couple of skilled trades within the workplace path within the game. And right off the get go for a child, my daughter's at the age of seven, she's already being taught through a simple childhood game of these are the way it should be. And just having exploratory options, having skilled trades integrated within the curriculum, whether it is included in math for estimating or within art for blueprinting, being able to integrate it as early as the younger elementary grades, allowing them to know what those skilled trades are and how many are out there and what the sectors are and the differences between them will allow them to grow up knowing all the pathways right from the get-go and not just automatically knowing that what kid doesn't know what a doctor or a garbage truck driver is but is plumber put in there just as much or electrician what is something else that they see every day letting them learn and understand that you wake up every day likely to an alarm clock or a cell phone what powers that phone how did the power get through your house to the phone it was an electrician how does the power get from the street to your house? Likely a power line technician. And going backwards in how skilled trades affect their lives every day. But that isn't explained, taught, or programs necessarily available at all the time. Yeah, that's, that's a really good answer. And, and I totally agree with that. I'm, I'm, I'm enamored and 
um, what's another word to go with that? I'll just use that word right now um, about the disparity between the perspectives of high school to university, high school to the workforce or to the trades. And it, you're right. And that it's always about perspective and that somehow people look at trades as the consolation prize to, to going to university or college. And that if you're, if you're not good at math and science, then head into the trades and, you know, you said it yourself, you head into trades, you're, you're hit with 80% of what we do in the trades has something to do with math and science and particularly mill writer, industrial mechanic, or, or machinist for, for that matter, pick any trade electrician. Uh, there's a lot of math. There's a lot of science involved in, in these trades. And I've had, I've had too many students in my class who are just starting their apprenticeship come to school for their level one and their eyes just get super big and they get really scared because they left the university track to escape exactly what we are all heading into. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and now, you know, we, we have to work through that. So that's good. I totally agree with you. I, I, am I wonder too, at what point is the tipping point um, where we, we see in this, in this current climate that, you know, going to university is now shifted to online and we've seen some of our stuff in the trade shift to online. If there isn't more opportunity for people to enter the trade, what, what do you think about that? I think it's difficult. And I did a radio show on this about virtual and skilled trades and about where it could take us. But one of the things that I talked about was, and I'll use hydraulics as an example, you can only learn so much on paper, but the touch, the feel, the sound is part of the troubleshooting. You can't do that online to understand uh, how hot a valve or a line should be for hydraulics. Um, or, or the sound that it's making, or if a pump is cavitating, it's really hard to learn those virtually. You need to be able to do them in person. There's quite a bit for the touch and the feel. Same thing, my husband actually is a machinist by trade. And as a millwright, I learned machining and understanding the touch and the feel of the wheel on a, on a mill. How does it move? How to know if it's stuck, if, if, if it's going in too far, is it catching? You can feel that. You can't do that virtually. So there's only so much that you could do on an online video call, but there's a lot that has to be done in person to be able to train properly for the highest level of competency. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Totally agree. So I'm, I'm assuming that you're, you're building into your children's perspective, the idea that trades are a viable direction to go in since your husband and yourself are both trades people. Mm-hmm. My seven-year-old daughter is in love with power tools. Uh, we've lived in our house now for 11 years and we have pretty much gutted and renovated almost every room, including our garage. And we invite our kids to be involved with us in all of it. And she's just all about the power tools. She just wants it. And her favorite is a palm sander, but she really enjoys a reciprocating saw or, or a sawzall. And uh, she has her loves and her wants for that. My son though, who's nine, He's, he does not like feel power tools. It is just, it is not him. He likes to go and do all the mudding and the drywall. He's like, all right, I will do that part. <laughs> he is game for that. But they're involved in every aspect. And we at least ask them, at least try. Just pick it up and try. And we will be right here with you. We will show you how to properly use it. We will explain how it's used and what it does. We'll show you what proper PPE, personal protective equipment to wear. We'll make them feel safe. And we just ask that they try just so they at least get the experience. Cause if it ever happens to them again, 
they might not be as scared to try it. Maybe if it's in front of their friends or in a class, hopefully they'll be able to step up or at least say, yes, I have done that or feel comfortable to want to step up and try it again. Yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. We did that with our kids too. My old, my oldest, my son, um, when he was looking at going into his, his career, when he's at the ripe age of 17, 18, trying to decide what he's going to do the rest of his life. I was like, he was stumbling across all these other things and, and not really making any headway. So I, I turned the boat around and said, so what, do you know what you don't want to do? Like, do you know what is totally outside the realm of possibility for you? And he instantly had an answer and he's like, yeah, I don't want to be a tradesperson." And I'm like, what? <laughs> we've only, we've only fed you and put a house uh, around you for the last 18 years. Anyway, uh, to say all that, he went to college and to pay for college, he did landscaping. So, uh, every summer I reminded him, you know, this is red seal trade. You could, you could be going, you could be getting a, a double, uh, double dip here, but, uh, and he's still working in it, uh, right now, saving up a bunch of cash to, uh, to get married. So for those people who are listening, thinking that trades is, is, uh, secondary and, and, uh, consolation prize, it is not, it is, I mean, you and um, I, Jen, are, are good examples of how the trades have been good to us. Um, and you, you got into the trade early. I got into the trade late. I already had two um, kids and, and busted in late. One what, what of the things that students always ask me when I'm providing keynotes or, or workshops, the, the question is always the money. So one of the first places that it goes. And my answer has always been, I, had my, I got my license at the age of 21. And we bought our first house at the age of 23 and vehicles were already in there. But what made that possible? Our trade, our apprenticeship, having our license by that time, the whole uh, earn while you learn that while you are learning and earning your hours, you're still doing your job. You're still getting paid. You're learning at the same time, though. Uh, So being able to build our life as early as we wanted to was really a blessing to be able to move forward and really jump into that. You're also a part of Skills Ontario, and uh, so how, how did you how did you come in contact with Skills Ontario and and decide to move from the trades world into that different part of the trades world? Great question. Uh, I'd already been volunteering with Skills Ontario for just shy fifteen years. Uh, Skills Ontario and uh, School to Career actually heard about me when I did my OEF, being the first woman signed, uh, and they actually started picking me up for keynotes when I was in grade twelve. And I started volunteering with Skills Ontario ever since then, uh, from their young women's programming to the competition to camps, you name it. And uh, in twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen, um, I was approached to be part of. Uh, Canada 150 alumni for nationals. And uh, there was only 40 of us chosen across the country. And we had kickstarted an alumni association in Ontario. And I had been recruited and became president. And through that, I networked through nationals that year with all the other Canada 150 alumni and and got feedback and and interest. And should we have a national committee? How, how can we put together roundtables for best practices across the whole country working through these networks? And then that's how the National Alumni Committee started, uh, where I became chair and Ontario lead there. Um, and then shortly after that, uh, the opportunity to work at Skills came about. And I'm all about the phrase of go big or go home. I want to make the biggest change I possibly can. I want to see what my experience is 
my accolades, my contributions, my background, what, what can I do to make the biggest and best change for our province and our country in skilled trades, where we have a massive deficit in Canada right now and we need workers. And it might be slow change in progress, but we are getting there. Earlier, I noted that when I started, only 1% of women were in mill writing. Well, today, it's 3%. That's a big jump across all of Canada when you think about how many hundreds of women that needs to be to jump 2%. So change is happening. And I love my trade. I also love advocacy. I love promotion. I love being able to make a difference. And being in this role gives me that platform where I can combine all those different things together right into one. And I can make quite a bit more change through this avenue where I can help those wanting to enter in the trades. I can help those that maybe we're in the same position that I was in and they don't know what's out there. Well, how can I help with that? How can I make change? What can I do to turn this around of maybe some of the things that I went through or others went through? I've mentored countless tradeswomen and tradesmen or looking to go into the trade. And it is the number one common theme that I constantly hear from all of them over all these years is, well, what's an apprenticeship? We didn't, we didn't know these careers existed. How do I get into this pathway? It's missing. So what else can I do? What else can I change? And also the competition, the Skills Ontario competition. I love the competition. It is the Olympics for skilled trades where you can represent your college, your training delivery agent, or your uh, school, whether it be public or private. And it's the best of the best. You go on to the qualifying level or the provincial level, and you're competing against apprentices or students from your trader technology of who's the best of the best. And then at the provincial level, you have the chance to move on to nationals. And then every two years, like the Olympics being four, though, you have a chance to move on to world skills and compete against apprentices or students from other countries to see who is the best. There is no better platform to showcase your skills, to show awareness to skilled trades and what it does for our youth here in Ontario, having that on your resume, industry recognizes it. They know what it means. And I'm an alumni of the competition and it, it changed my life. I competed in, uh, in industrial millwright and I was selected to represent Conestoga College. And <laughs> I originally laughed and said, no. No, I'm no, I'm not doing this. And uh, I, I said, there's already enough of a lens on women in trades. I said, what if I fail? I'm like, I don't want to put women in trades back even further if I come in last. And my teacher said to me, but what if you come in first? He's like, we chose you for a reason. We chose you to represent us because we believe in you. So between that comment and quite a few other people trying to convince me, telling me I was crazy not to, I ended up competing. And I won gold for Ontario and I won silver for Canada. And the confidence it gave me as a woman in a non-traditional career, what it did for my career, what it allowed me to be able to continue to achieve and jump into even more. I have quite the love and passion for this competition and what I know it is capable and possible for any apprentice or any student entering into the skilled trades, even if you compete and you don't medal, you can still put it on your resume. You still had to train for it and practice for it. That already 
gives you more experience than what you had before. And this competition is existent in every province and territory in Canada. So yes, uh, to listeners, there is a Skills BC who also has a British Columbia provincial competition. Yeah, I could totally support that. I mean, at our my previous employer, uh, we, we took the BC skills competition very seriously in the piping department so much so that we would, we would, uh, we would handpick, uh, the appropriate age, usually second year, maybe third year, if the person was young enough, uh, because we were always looking at worlds. Like it's, it's not just, it's not just good enough to look at the provincial competition and the national, like you, you need to look out to the world. And so you're planning backwards in age. And I, I remember we would, we would set up, it would take us a week and a half to set up because we would have a number of competitors, both in the apprenticeship as well as in their foundation programs and, or pre-up apprenticeship as some provinces call it. And it was a, it was a massive event and we would bring in inspectors from industry and, and, you know, we, we would make it this huge thing. And the winner of our school would go on into uh, the provincials because our school at that time was considered a regional. And so we would win, win our regional because we would have other schools come and join us and then go into the provincial. And then, yeah, when you say that you love the competition, we have a few, we had a few instructors in our department who lived for skills, like lived mm. for skills, right? Like it is the same here. It's, it's just, I, I get excited about it but I don't think I have quite the depth of excitement and drive for it. And like, it's almost bred into you. I think it's, it, it's one of those things that I can't even explain it. Like it's our, our. It's, it's being a part of something bigger than yourself. It is a part of change. It is something exciting. If you get excited, if you get excited to go to the hottest concert with the best tickets, it's that feeling and more. And the majority of our school boards and colleges and training delivery agents here in Ontario, they all they also host their own regionals, their own internal competitions to see who will move on to our qualifying or our provincials. Because um, in Ontario, we are the largest in Canada for the competition. We have over 2,400 competitors. We have 74 contests and demos, including elementary. And we bring in almost 40,000 spectators. Uh, so it's quite large and making sure that we not only provide the opportunities for students and apprentices to compete, but also for visitors and spectators to come and see people competing, to learn about these trades, to actually physically see on site them working and doing the comp competition. And then we also have our showcase booths where our sponsors and partners, everything from companies, industry, education, you name it, creates a booth with a mandatory hands-on experience. So spectators actually get to do a hands-on piece of something to do with skilled trades and technology and watch the competitions for the greatest overall effect. Yeah. It's so cool. I, I would recommend to all the parents who are listening, who ha may have some kids who are looking at what they're going to do with the rest of their life. And if you have the opportunity to go watch a skills, uh, whether it's virtual or in person, uh, whether it's at a high school or whether it's in an arena somewhere, you need to take your kid to, to just at least walk through and see what some of these trades people are doing. Cause it, it's truly amazing. Like everything from carpentry and plumbing and electrical, all the, you know, these standard trades that you would see all the way through to industrial mechanic and machinist to hairstylist, to cook, to automotive uh, electronics. 
Uh, and then uh, you you would see even grade tens, uh, elevens, and twelves competing in their high school. So you're right. It's this it's this big event, and I, and I love the way that you use the concert because we all love to go see the concert, but none of us really see the road trip or the road stuff that's behind putting the concert together. And and that is that is a massive undertaking in and of itself too, right? It's nothing like you've ever seen before. And anyone who comes to visit always says the same thing. We rent one of the largest venues in Ontario and we are the biggest and most unique renter that they've ever had. Um, and we've been using them for years. It, we are there for a full nine days. It takes us over five days to set up just for two days of competition. And it truly is unique in that you've never seen anything like it before. Yeah, yeah. That's a, oh, you get my, you get my heart pumping when you talk about skills. It's so cool. It is exciting. <laughs> it is just... absolutely exciting. And I mean, like just in general, I mean, the amount of programs that Skills Ontario pumps out, we do everything from camps to young women's initiatives and conferences. We do First Nation, Métis and Inuit events and conferences. We do discovery days. Uh, we do what's called jump door races. We've got the competition. We've got cardboard boat races. Uh, we have quite a few different programming from elementary to senior elementary, secondary, and even post-secondary, trying to make sure that all aspects from multiple different avenues are explored to be able to get skilled trades and technologies out there uh, as an option for a career. Yeah. And, and another reason I think it's important for people to go out there and see the competitors actually building what they need to build. It's, well, I mean, it's, 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 it's not what you would expect. Like people would think, oh, it's just a bunch of trace people. It's going to be a bunch of tools. It's going to smell. It's going to look dirty. That is no. far from it. It is, it is so immaculate. Uh, and, and, and almost all, even the bricklayers, right. Even in their stations where they're doing brick and they're laying different kinds of, of brick and using different kinds of mortar, you would expect it to just be as dirty as can be. It's not, it's pristine and it's amazing. Like you can, you can feel the electricity in the air when you're watching these young people compete because they know that it's not just a competition, but it's about reputation too. Right. Mm -hmm. There, there's a lot of things going on. You're representing yourself. You're representing the institution that's sending you there. And I mean, ultimately it comes down to you're there for a chance to win gold, silver, or bronze. And with the, with the potential opportunity, if your contest happens to move on to nationals, to be able to go on to the next level, which then means you're then competing against another student or apprentice from almost every province and territory across Canada. And it's quite the feeling. Yeah. That's very cool. That's very cool. So you're also uh, part of the women or young women's initiative programs. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what's that about? So the young women's initiatives program is showcasing those non-traditional careers and trying to create a safe and welcoming space for young women to be able to learn and explore. We host regional events when in person uh, in partnership with colleges and industry where we will host an event on site and they actually get to go into the classrooms, talk to the teachers and actually build something uh, and learn about the particular trade from that classroom, uh, as well as normally having a keynote and a mentor panel a presentation on how apprenticeship works. And those are all free and college locations for real life experience and actual trades people to talk to. But we also do a lot of other things. Uh, for example, we do our International Day of the Girl Conference for girls by girls, actually focusing on girls. 
panels. So instead of it being a trades women panel being interviewed, it's a panel of girls being interviewed. What do you know about the trades? What do you wish you knew? Uh, we have a keynote and then they get to interview the keynote. They also do a tool show and tell. So really taking something traditional and flipping it on its head. Uh, same thing for International Women's Day. We host a conference, but talking about all those other additional layers that women deal with for non-traditional careers. So not just focusing on what is a skilled trade? How does an apprenticeship work? How does schooling work? What do you have to go through? No, let's talk about all the other things that women have to worry about going into those roles. Let's talk about childcare. Let's become, let's talk about being pregnant. Let's talk about maternity leave. How does that affect you as a tradeswoman? Let's talk about HR issues. Let's talk about entrepreneurship. So really focusing on those other layers of the onion and what else do women want to talk about? And that conference is focused more on grade 11 and 12, post-secondary, tradeswomen, apprentices, journey persons, professionals, and really showcasing it that way as well. So we're really trying to be unique and outside the box with new and different ideas to really try to help capture some of the other aspects that haven't necessarily been focused on before. And that leads me into last year, we did a Guinness World Record and we beat it and won it. Uh, we did the world's largest video chain of people passing and using a screwdriver. And it was also accompanied with an education guide, history on the Robertson Canadian screwdriver. It focused on women in trades and their favorite screwdrivers for their trades and why. Really coming up with different ways to promote skilled trades and women in skilled trades. Uh, which also leads me into our conference. We are also the largest in Canada for our Young Women's uh, in Skilled Trades and Technologies Conference, where we have booths from partners and sponsors and uh, education, uh, all providing hands-on activities. We do a mentor panel, we do keynotes, we do welcoming and closing remarks uh, from ministers, as well as from sponsors providing unique door prizes of tools for girls to feel comfortable with. Uh, in person, we normally bring in over 2,000 and virtually we brought in almost 8,000. Uh, but we also wanna be really inclusive. We've had two languages, Ontario, French and English, uh, as well as multiple other uh, provinces and territories. So we also then this year hosted the exact same conference completely in French. Uh, so same speakers, if they spoke both languages, or new speakers, but answering the same questions. So the conference agenda itself was the exact same, but making sure that we can capture all different underrepresented groups as much as we possibly can, including our conferences while virtual also included ASL wherever we could. We have lots of other new opportunities coming out as well, such as a tool conference partnered with Milwaukee, making sure that you know what the tools are, how to safely use them, what they're about, what proper personal protective equipment to wear. So again, thinking outside the box of what else can we do? What else can we offer that's new and unique? Um, and lastly, one of the things that we're really focusing on is parent engagement nights. We're doing a six part series where the first series is gonna be all about skilled trades and apprenticeships, grants, initiatives, what else is out there? What do you need to know about this pathway and getting into it? And then the other five parts of the series each night is dedicated to a different sector. So one for motive power, industrial, service, construction, and technology. So each night will be focused on all the careers and skilled trades and technologies within that sector. So you'll have an opportunity as a parent to join the overall night to learn about skilled trades, 
But then you could join all five of the rest of the series or one or two, depending on what you and or your child or children are interested in to really get a deeper dive. Because when you do a conference or you do an event, there's only so much time. You can only focus on a couple of different jobs, a couple of different careers, but being able to break up these parent nights and really diving deep into the differences and the exact roles and careers within each of those sectors allows for a much deeper dive of what's really out there. I love that because it's, it mirrors what people are used to when it comes to a university education, where they know that if they can go into the school of medicine, that there's all these, there's all these careers in medicine, or if they're going to go into uh, healthcare, there's, there's not just nursing. There's, there's, there's five, six, seven different layers of, of career paths in there. And, and I love the fact that you're breaking the trades down into their, their smaller meta compartments and then looking at trades within those meta compartments of, you know, industrial and service and construction, because I think oftentimes people just get this stereotype of a tradesperson, and that's that's the stereotype they use across all the trades. And the stereotype, for one, is is inappropriate and unfair. But to apply it to all the trades, no matter what trade you're talking about, is is um, exponentially unfair. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, in Ontario, we've got 144 trades. But do you know what those 144 are? Do you know what trades are in each sector? you would be shocked to learn what careers are a skilled trade and which ones require an apprenticeship. When you really start to look through that list divided up by sector, which is on the Ontario.ca website, you'd be so surprised as to what you would learn. And it would make you really think and go, oh, what other career do I know about that's actually a skilled trade? So being able to break that out and shine a light on the things that are hidden. Yeah, for sure. You've touched on this word a few times in our, in our conversation today, mentorship. What is it about being a mentor that absolutely excites you? Everything. A mentor is someone to help guide you to learn from. And when I was an apprentice, there really weren't any women in trade support groups. They just simply didn't exist. Uh, My mentor was my lead hand in my second year who saved me. And I say that because I almost quit. I built up a lot of tough skin, but some things were not quite going right. And I thought I made a horrible decision. I thought, what what did I do when I changed this in high school? And if it wasn't for him, I don't know if I would have stayed. He helped me get through some really tough times. And having a mentor, especially someone who can understand the background and what it is you're going through. So having a female tradesperson as your mentor If you are having specific things happen to you or that you're going through or having to deal with that maybe other tradespeople around you don't ever have to deal with, they've been there, they've done that, they know what advice to help provide you or help direction on where to go. Today, there are so many women in skilled trades groups out there. I'm so jealous and excited at what is out there and the possibilities, whether it is by trade specific, like women at power line technicians or industry specific like women in renewable energy, women in nuclear, women in mechanical construction. There are so many groups out there where you can join, be a part of something. You want to ask questions and learn about what's out there? You've got someone to talk to. You you are already in the trades and you need someone to talk to. The groups are there, open and available. And being able to have that makes a difference. It allows you to feel like you're not alone that somebody has been there, that you can at least have a sounding wall, that someone has been there to be able to either provide advice or just listen and say, 
I feel you. And whether you're uh, an underrepresented group, you're a trade woman, a trade man, a trade person, everybody should have a mentor. And it doesn't matter if it's skilled trades or technologies or any career. Having a mentor to be able to talk through situations and learn from and grow from, everybody should have a mentor. And I've had several throughout my career, through different parts of my career, and they've all made a difference at some point or another. They've been there to support me, to listen to me if I needed to cry, to listen to me if I needed to yell, to support me if I needed a helping hand or just to simply say congratulations no matter what they've been there for me. And finding that person makes a difference. And it's one of the reasons why I've provided personal mentorship my entire career. And whether it's as simple as an apprentice saying, hey, you're strapped for cash, you need tools, go buy your tools on Father's Day, go buy your tools on Christmas. Those are the best sales. So even providing something as simple as advice on, hey, go on Father's Day, that's when your tool sales are the best. Or trying to break out a plan on, how to break it to your parents that you really want to go into the skilled trades, how to handle a really delicate situation that a tradeswoman might be dealing with, and they just simply don't have anywhere to turn on how to handle it. It can be the furthest extreme to the simplest and easiest, but having a sounding board of someone with experience who's been there is a really great support net and opportunity to learn and grow so that maybe one day, you can then bring it full circle and return that favor to somebody else. Yeah. That's awesome. Jen, what have you changed your mind on lately? That as much as I love working from home, I miss the office where, uh, (laughs) where I don't have my home chores at the same time. (laughs) That's a somewhat, a somewhat funny one. Um, But yeah, just even learning the new working dynamic of our, our new world is again, Nobody likes change and trying to figure out the new change and the new normal and finding out a whole new routine is something very different to have to learn and overcome. And as far as mentorship, there isn't really anyone to ask because we're all going through it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good deal. As we come to a close, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. This has been awesome to have our conversation. Um, I'm wondering if uh, we would have a, a round two later down the road uh, to pick up on some of these themes. That would be fantastic. I know you're a busy person. Um, No, of course I would love to. That'd be great. That'd be great. Uh, Jen, what are you reading right now? Ooh, I am reading uh, one of my favorite authors. Her name is Kate Alice. And guess what? It's a murder mystery. So (laughs) my my original love never really left. Um, (laughs) uh, I have two favorite authors. Uh, One is Canadian. The other one is Kate Alice, who, uh, is from across the pond. And yes, both books are both, both authors are all murder mysteries. <laughs> do you ever find yourself watching a movie and you're like, Oh, do they really do that? Do they really do that? <laughs> my, uh, my husband says that it is my unique talent is to call out what will happen next in movies. Um, especially murder mysteries. Cause he's like, how did you know that would happen? And I'm like, I think I've been watching them for too long. <laughs> yeah. I've been watching them too long. Yeah. I, I have a couple of physicist friends who are the worst people to go to a movie with and watch like star Wars or star Trek or anything like that. They're always like calling out different things. And you're like, dudes, I paid lots of money to sit in the seat. Just be quiet. I just, Oh no, I don't mean from things I've already seen. I mean, from new ones, movies sometimes can just be a little bit too, too typical as to what they're going to do next. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Jen, are you listening to any podcasts? What are you listening to? I have to admit, I haven't really quite picked up too many podcasts that I'm listening to on a regular basis. I will listen to them here, there, and everywhere. But uh, without driving every day, I don't have the luxury of having the, the radio or a podcast on in the background. Um, and when I'm normally working, I like it silent. <laughs> so having having the loss of driving every day, I have really kind of lost out on some of those uh, opportunities to be able to listen more. I'm surprised you're not listening to murder mystery podcasts. They're, they're no, the new, they're the no, new not, rage now, I hear. Not quite there yet. I just, <laughs> I just enjoy the books, just the books. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Jen, one last question for you, and then, uh, and then we'll call it uh, a day. Um, I might know the answer to this, but I'll ask you anyway. What impact do you want to have in the system that you're working in? Go big or go home. Make the greatest change I can for the biggest difference in our province and country. There's an issue right now with skilled trades. There is the stigma. There is the deficit. What can I continue to do to help make a change in that? What can I help to do to explore the possibilities? How many other young women don't think that they belong in the trades? How many other young men don't think they belong in the trades? What else needs to be explored? Just finding those pathways and the amount of women in underrepresented groups that have found their way into the trade saying, I wish that we knew that this was here before. They could have had a completely different life earlier on. So just continuing to make change, be a glass ceiling breaker, being resilient, being fearless is my favorite word. Be fearless. Go where others have not. Keep pushing. Nobody nobody ever didn't make change without stirring the pot. So to be able to make change, you're you're gonna have to stir that pot a little bit and create a little bit of a whirlwind. That's awesome. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Jen, for taking the time. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much for having me today.